This is our final Sunday in the Greatest Hits Sermon Series. We've heard Pastor Seth talk about the revolutionary act of choosing joy, of deciding to go to a good party even if the world feels like it's falling apart. We've talked about love, what real life-changing counter-cultural love of ourselves, of our neighbor, and of our God can mean. We've had our hearts broken, and we've kept going, digging deep into ourselves against that good old fight. And today, we are going to talk about hope. Hope, that force which keeps us going in the dark night of our soul. The inspiration and belief that it gets better, and it doesn't have to be like this. Today in scripture, we have the end of a story. Moses' journey of hope coming to a close. And I wonder if he thought that it would end like this. And if it was all worth it. All alone on that mountaintop, looking out over the promised land, unable to finish the journey which he started. I wonder if he was disappointed or frustrated. I wonder what his hope looked like at the end. Emily Dickinson wrote that hope is the thing with feathers. Our hopes take flight, even if they turn out differently than that we've imagined them. And maybe, maybe they don't even come to fruition till long, long after we are all dead and gone. But the act of hoping in and of itself is important. It is powerful and transformative. It changes us, our relationships, and maybe even the world. The scripture reading today is from the book of Deuteronomy. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him, and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. 
He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. While Pastor Seth likes to come up fighting, I like to come up dancing. <laughs> Man, it is harder to get up here than down there and back than you think. <laughs> but let us be in a spirit of prayer with one another. God, who is a God of hope. God, who makes a way out of no way. Who shows and directs and guides our path. God, who is a lamp unto our feet. We pray that we feel you with us in worship today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was a perfect end of summer September day. The sun was shining down on the stained glass windows of the neo-Gothic ivy-colored halls. And in a Mary Tyler Moore-esque moment, I admit that I spun around my arms outstretched on the streets, wanting to throw my proverbial hat up into the air. The world was my oyster. It was saturated with potential and possibilities all of those not-yets and could-bes. And while Seth sat on top of a parking garage in the same city, looking out at night, I danced in those sunlit streets, excited about all the friends that were there to be met, excited about all those experiences that were to be had, all the good food to be eaten and the classes to be taken. I felt like I could see my life unfurling ahead of me. Emily Dickinson wrote that hope is the thing with feathers. And I felt like I could fly as I walked along the streets of New Haven, about to start my first semester of divinity school. And you all have had these moments too. Maybe it's when you first realized that you loved your spouse. Maybe it too was at the beginning of some academic career, beginning first days of classes. Maybe it was when you started a job that you were so in love with. Or maybe it was when a child was born, where the future beckons you to hope and dream about all that could be held. Moses lived because of hope. 
the hope of a mother willing to be separated from her child for his very survival, a baby in a basket, who, rescued by a princess from the Nile River, for years grew up himself a prince of privilege. Moses' every need met. He didn't think he really needed hope. But hoping is an essential part of our humanity. Moses lived in denial for years along that river Nile, denial that his privileged life was made on the backs through sweat and blood of a people, of his people. And while Moses could have stayed locked away in that ivory tower, he knew there was no going back once his eyes were opened. And so, from captivity to the promised land, Moses lived out his mother's legacy. His life's work became hope in action. Facing unjust systems and hoping for justice, fleeing captivity and hoping for freedom, hoping for an escape route and parting the Red Sea, hoping for food and manna descending from heaven, hoping for water, and it rushing forth from a rock. And in the end, hoping to see his work realized, Moses hoped. And his hope was a thing with feathers, allowing his people to fly to freedom. And in the end, the Israelites drank milk and tasted sweet honey promised to them. But for all of us, our hope is sometimes not actualized. In my life, and maybe in yours too. And yet we go on letting our hopes take flight to lands that we may never know and endings unseen. We hope, just like Moses. But it would be naive and it would be untrue to say that hope always turns out the way that we think it will. Our hope often disappoints us. I know my own hope has even broken my own heart. It doesn't work out on our timeline, and it rarely occurs in the ways that we think. And yet we go on. We keep going on hoping, even when our naive and flimsy hope dies away. Knowing that our act of hope matters because it gives life and breath. The foundation of this life-giving hope is honesty. Hope demands honesty. To hope for what can be, we have to be honest about where we are, about the muck and the mire in which we find ourselves, that something is broken, maybe within our world, within our communities, within our country, maybe within our own most intimate relationships or, or even within ourselves. And in owning that brokenness in courageously staring it down, we claim that it gets better and I will be better and that this is not okay. I'm sure Moses had to face the harsh reality that this experiment in the desert was not <laughs> turning out the way that he imagined it would. 
As someone who's led over seven mission trips at this point, I know what living in a close nomadic community can do to a person. <laughs> One such mission trip when I was working at a church in Connecticut, we took 170 high schoolers to Puerto Rico. And I remember on the last day, as we were properly getting burned at the beach, soaking up that sun before heading back to the frozen tundra of New England, a leader and I swam out a ways. And that leader pointed to the tip of the bay where the blue of the sun seemed to mold into the blue of the water, the green jungle coming almost right to the ocean. And he said, if we look out this way, I think we're in heaven. And then swimming around some more, we turned back to the shore. And he said, and if we look in this direction, to where our high schoolers were stepping on sea urchins and trying to sneak off to some beachside bars and generally canoodling with one another, he said, we are in hell. <laughs> now, I love these trips. And I love the deep and profound experiences that they offer both for the youth and for the adults who are lucky enough to go on them. But after a week of sleepless nights and sunburns, I was ready to be home. And so I can imagine spending weeks, months, a few years even, traveling. But as the years turned into decades, as these refugees traveled to a land for a better life, I wonder if the heaven I wonder if that promised land imagined turned into hell. As Moses' body grew older, I wonder if he knew that while his people would get to see some great promised land, that he would never see the fruits of his labor. I wonder how he felt leaving a privileged life from plush palace apartments to sleeping on the ground sustaining a whole tribe of people on the bare minimum, from opulence and excess to begging for only their most basic needs to be met. I wonder if he prayed, God, make this easier, because I know that in my life I've said those words. I wonder if he doubted God, are you even there, and is this really even worth it? I wonder if he ever wished that he could take it all back. So often, I think we confuse hope with naive optimism. And while naive optimism lets us dance in the streets like Mary Tyler Moore, it rarely calls us to do the real hard work of hope. It feels good like a dopamine hit that can lead to apathy and inaction. But real hope calls us to face the harsh realities and not just hold on to platitudes. Not all ways of hoping are created equal after all. Writer, activist, and pastor Victoria Safford puts it like this. She says, our mission is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope and not the prudent gates of optimism, which are narrower, nor the stalwart, boring gates of common sense, nor the strident gates of self-righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges, nor the cheerful, flimsy garden gates of 
everything's going to be all right. But a very different, sometimes lonely place. The place of truth-telling. About your own soul first and its condition. The place of resistance and defiance. The piece of ground from which you see the world both as it is and as it could be and it might be and it will be. The place from which you glimpse not only struggle, but joy in the struggle. And we stand there, beckoning and calling, telling people what we are seeing and asking them what they see. I wonder where my hope, and maybe yours too, fits into this. I wonder where my hopes are just optimistic blatherings. I wonder where my hopes are not really hopes but guarantees, where I only dream for that which I know is attainable so I can check it off my neat little list. I wonder where my hopes are tied to my beliefs in my own correctness. And I wonder where are my hopes rooted in honesty and calling me to do the hard work of rolling up my sleeves and daring to dream. Writer and journalist Krista Tippett said that hope is a muscle that we have to give our time, attention, and strength to. She says, hope, like every virtue, is a choice. It's a choice that becomes a practice that becomes spiritual muscle memory. And Moses tested that muscle time and time again. 